Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. So if you remember that this is an example of prayer, it's an example of prayer that Jesus gives, and it's actually part of a sermon. And if you remember, the sermon's like three chapters long. So this is a long sermon. And uh, when, we, when we stopped, when we went to our Advent series, we we're like smack dab in the middle of the sermon. So we're kind of going back to it. We're going to warm up a little bit with looking at this prayer. And also, this is kind of the time to emphasize prayer. We're starting the new year. And one of the most important things that we can do is approach our Lord and engage with him, to talk with him, to pray to him. So this is part of a longer sermon, this prayer, and this, we, we titled this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and it kind of fits where Jesus is, is tempted in the desert, and he afterwards after he is tempted by the devil, he makes his home in Capernaum and he begins preaching this gospel and the gospels repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what he's doing. He's going around this area. He's preaching the gospel. And during this time, he calls two sets of brothers. He calls Simon, who we call Peter. Okay, so Simon and his brother, Andrew, and then also James and John. And after he calls them, he, he travels around the region. He's preaching, he's teaching in synagogues, and he amasses a large crowd through his healing ministry. As the disciples and the large crowds follow him, Jesus makes his way to the side of the mountain, and he sits down, and he begins to teach them. And this is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the sermon that he preaches, he starts with, what we call the Beatitudes. These are blessings that he's giving, and it's these character traits for those who are entering the kingdom of heaven. So he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. So after giving this list, after these Beatitudes, Jesus makes a bold declaration. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And this was to to draw the attention or grab the attention of the hearers. Wait, what? Because scribes and Pharisees, they were like like the most religious. They, They followed the law to the T. They're the ones that everyone else looked up to when it came to what it looked like to be godly and holy. Wait a minute, our righteousness must exceed that of these scribes and Pharisees? And then Jesus proceeds to unpack what this means by giving examples from the law. He explains that righteousness is not obtained by only, let's say, abstaining from murder. Do not murder is part of the law. It's not just about that, but it's also about abstaining from anger. 
And he says, if, if you are angry at your brother, you have already committed murder. It's not just from abstaining from adultery, but it's also abstaining from lust. And he continues on with these examples. And basically what he's saying is it's not just about these outward actions of either moving towards something or abstaining from things, but it's matters of the heart. What is in the heart? What is the condition of the heart? Jesus uses another example concerning prayer. And that's our context this morning. So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, so before he gets to his example, he tells his listeners to avoid praying like the hypocrites who pray in public in order to impress others and make themselves look righteous. So it'd be like these scribes and Pharisees that would go out in the public and they would give these very long and um, impressive prayers with using big words. And, and it was for the purpose of showing others how righteous they were. So Jesus says, don't, don't pray like that. He also says to avoid praying like the pagan Gentiles and how they pray. They pray by repeating phrases that are like incantations. And so I think the example that I used last time was um, Harry Potter, right? And they would have to say the right words in the exact same way in order to make something happen. And so the, the pagan Gentiles during that time, boy, if we could just say it the right way, use the right words, we can, we can force these God's hands to do the things that we want them to do. And Jesus is saying, do not pray like that. And this brings us to Jesus giving an example of how to pray. And we should be grateful for that. We should be grateful that Jesus gives an example like this in scripture. And I think it's helpful because prayer can be challenging. It is a challenging spiritual discipline for us. I know for myself just a personal example, it can be hard to find the right words to say. I have these thoughts in my, ma- my mind, or I have these feelings, or, or I experience something, and sometimes it's hard to use words to express how I feel or what took place. Sometimes I don't know what to pray about. I feel like I need to pray, but what should I be praying about, or I find myself praying about the same things over and over again, like a broken record. Sometimes I feel like praying won't do any good. Is, is God even there? Is he listening? Does he even care about these things that I care about and want to pray about? So let me ask you, have you ever felt that way in your life when it comes to prayer? Perhaps this morning you will be encouraged. Jesus gives us a wonderful example of how to pray to our Lord. And so the first question we need to ask, what is prayer? What is, what is that? And quite simply, prayer is conversing with God. It's, it's talking with him. It's addressing him in either audible words, words or, or mentally, thoughts, praying in your mind. We can, 
We can pray during specific occasions, like before we eat, we can be praying. Or it could be kind of more spontaneous prayer throughout the day. It could be an, an informal prayer or something that is planned, more formal. And so scripture describes it as beseeching the Lord, coming to the Lord and, and pouring out. It's a pouring out of the soul or seeking unto God and making supplication, asking and requesting. It's drawing near to God. And another way of looking at it, it's bowing the knees. And I like that last description, bowing, bowing the knees. It's a picture that prayer is also an expression of humility. When we pray, we are communicating that God is greater than ourselves. We are needy and dependent on the one who is sovereign. He is sovereign over the whole universe. And so we're coming before this great God with humility, knowing that we are in great need. So prayer is simply conversing with God. But within this simple act, there is a significant spiritual interaction that takes place between us and our creator. So it's a simple thing to do, but there's something deeper going on, a spiritual interaction going on with our creator. So this morning, we're going to look at the first verse of this prayer, just the first verse, and unpack the way in which Jesus addresses the Father. So if you would stand with me, please, we're going to read a, a, longer, a, a larger context. Uh, we're going to focus on verse 9. But we're going to read and start in verse 5. So this is Matthew chapter 6. I'll start in verse 5. You can follow along with me as I read. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to, to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask them. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So Lord, as we come before you now and as, as we look at this prayer, specifically this one phrase in verse nine, pray Lord that you would speak, that you would draw our hearts to yourself, that you would spur us, that this would enliven us to, to pray to you, Lord. And maybe in some ways that we've never prayed to you before. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so let's start by looking at the first two words, our Father. 
And the first thing to notice is that Jesus is addressing God as Father, and he uses the first person plural. He uses our. He is our Father. So Jesus is being inclusive. God the Father isn't just Jesus' Father. It's wonderful that he starts out with it being our Father, which means that we can address God as Father as well. And so God is father to all who trust in his name. All of us who trust in his name. First John chapter three, verse two says, beloved, he's speaking to the church. This is us. We are God's children now. We are God's children now. And what we will be as not yet has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And so this language is this father-child language. We are his children now, and through this life, we are growing up, Lord willing. We are growing up. We're being discipled growing up so that we may become more like him. An illustration of this, just uh, yesterday we were uh, talking about uh, our family, we were talking about just what the, who the kids look like, and I think there was the joke of one of them we were pointing out must have been adopted, not the one that was really adopted, but another another child that like where did she get her features from? And we're like, well, we must have been adopted, but so we were just talking about you know, no, 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 when when she when when Kara was younger, that's there's some features there we can see. And so we were going and looking at pictures and identifying, oh, see, that picture looks like her, right? So there's this aspect of our children, as they grow up, become to look more like us or maybe even act like us. And so I remember just with my father, I, my, my, my father has some very interesting things that he does um, that, uh, that I noticed when I was a child, and then all of a sudden when I was adult, when I was an adult, I realized I'm doing the same exact things. And so I can get really focused on something that I'm doing. My children and my wife can attest to this. I'll get so focused on something, and they can hear me whispering as I am. I'm basically talking to myself and talking to the thing that I'm doing as I am doing it. Ah, oh, this drawer, this drawer, it just squeaks all the time. I better get some... Just a, and, that's exactly what my dad does. And so I sometimes pause. I'm like, oh my goodness, I am just like him. And so there's this aspect of, of God being our father, and, and there's a way that we grow up in his likeness. And so if God is our father, then it tells us also something that, about the kind of relationship we have with him. There's, there's a relationship then between father and child. So let me give you some examples of this going back to the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6 says, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father? And so the Israelites apparently back then didn't really see God as their father. And the writer is challenging them on this. Is not he your father who, what, created you, who made you, and established you? 
And so here's the point. If it was not for God the Father, you would not be here. You would not exist. You, you owe your existence to him. And that's, that's that relationship here. He, he, he is the one that has created you and brought you into existence. Psalm 103 verse 13 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So we see here that he is likened to a father, a father that shows compassion to his children. The Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. It's, he's a compassionate father. He is slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. This is the kind of father he is. Isaiah 64 verse 16 says, You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer from old, or from of old is your name. And so God is also a father who redeems. He brings you back into right standing with him. And this was accomplished through Jesus Christ. We know this. We were once far from him. And God had a plan to redeem his children through his son. So he is a father who redeems. He is also a father who protects and provides and guides. We can just read the book of Exodus as an example of this, where his people are enslaved in Egypt and they cry out to the Lord and the Lord hears their cry. And throughout this interaction and, and freeing them from slavery, there's parts, there's times when God protects them. He protects them from the army of the Egyptians. He, he provides for them while they're out in the desert. And he's guiding them through this whole journey. And if we jump to the New Testament, one of the interesting ways Jesus addresses God is Abba Father. Abba Father, which is a, we don't, we don't really know what that phrase means, Abba. We, we don't hear that word a lot, but it, and here's the interesting thing is that is not a, a Greek word. That's not the original, uh, when, when Jesus speaks it, it's a, it's a different language. Um, it's a Syriac language or a Chaldean language uh, or word. And, um, Jesus follows up that with that with the Greek equivalent. So it's this Abba Father. It's, it's Father Father, but just he's, he's describing it in a way and it's unique. And at that time in that culture, they would have understood what he meant by that when he said Abba Father. So this is basically what it means. It's a term expressing warm affection and filial confidence. So warm affection or filial confidence, which basically when I mean filial confidence, this is, let me give an example of what I mean by this. So uh, many moons ago when Aiden was, I don't know, maybe two or three years old, uh, the house that we lived at had some stairs. I've shared this illustration before, but it was, it was a nice launching pad. And so he would run and jump and I would catch him. And so uh, he didn't, he, with, with all uh, confidence in 
his father, you know, he would just launch right off and know that I would catch him. And that's kind of the picture of what this word Abba means. There's, there's this confidence in who the Lord is, who our father is. And so we're willing to take a step or we're, we're willing to take a jump and launch into his arms because we know the kind of father that we have, that he's compassionate, that he is a protector, a sustainer, one who will guide us. And that's all wrapped up into this phrase, Abba, Father. And Paul also addresses God as Abba, Father. This is in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. This is what you have received as, as one who has followed Christ, who believes in Christ. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. You are children of God by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. This is the kind of father that we serve, that we trust in. And so these are descriptions of our father who created us. It conveys God as a personal and relational God. So there may be some listening today, whether here or online, that don't have a good relationship with their father. And hearing that God is our father doesn't convey a positive picture of God, but we must remember that our own experiences do not define truth. They don't necessarily define truth. Our own fathers may not be the best examples of what a true father should be like, but our perception of father must come from God's word. That's where we define father, is from God's word. So our idea of what an ideal father looks like should come out of this kind of father. Uh, it should come out of the kind of father God is to his people. What should a father be like? We should go to the word of God and see how God interacts and relates to his people. That, that shows us, that tells us what a father is like. So at the beginning of this prayer, Jesus addresses God as our father. And next, Jesus describes the location of our father he is in heaven. So this is point number two, the next phrase, our father in heaven. And the word heaven in the Greek text, in the original text, is actually plural. It should say in, um, our father in heavens or in the heavens. It describes God as sovereign, that he has sovereign oversight over all the world. And so wherever we are, just look up. Look up right now. There he is. And so the theological term used that we often use is that God is omniscient and that God is omnipresent. And so omniscient means that God is all-knowing. Omnipresent means that he is everywhere. It's a picture of 
a king on his throne looking over his entire kingdom. So God is not only personal, he is also near. You can engage with your father who is in the heavens because there isn't a place where he is not. Wherever you go, should I say that I should tell the silly joke? Here's the silly, I'm not a stand-up comedian, but I, I heard this one from a Christian comedian. I thought it was rather uh, uh, funny. Um, he's like, you know what? I just found out that I'm omnipresent. I'm omnipresent. I went, I said, huh, I wonder if I'm in the living room. So I walked in the living room and there I was. Okay, it was pretty good. We'll give what, what, a, a five or six on the, on the comedy scale? Anyways, wherever you are, God is there. So Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23 and 24 says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do, not, do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. The answer to that is yes. That is who he is. There is no place we can hide. He is there. there is no, he, he fills the heavens and the earth. And so when you wake in the morning or when you lie down at night, God is near. In the darkest times of your life or in the greatest moments of your life, God is near. When your soul is troubled, when sleep is wanting, when fear overwhelms, God is near. And so what I'd like to do is just pause for a minute and just reflect upon this truth. So hopefully you have a worship guide or a piece of paper. Maybe there's a pen nearby as well. But this is what I want to do just for like 30 to 45 seconds, just to pause and reflect on this and, and practice this. And it's reflect on a normal day in your life. Reflect upon, just think back to a, just a normal every, every uh, just a normal day in your life. And when are the times you can pray to the Lord during that day? Think of one occasion in your day when you can go to the Lord in prayer. And it doesn't have to be for a half an hour. It doesn't have to be where you, you know, kind of hide away into a closet to pray. It could be quite simply this. And I know uh, there's, there's people who have done this before where they make this connection of anytime I touch a, a knob, a handle, I'm going to give a short prayer to the Lord. Just anytime I'm going to reflect, I'm going to, I'm going to engage in the Lord. I'm going to have a short conversation with the Lord. Maybe it's, maybe it's gratitude. I'm going to give one thing that I'm thankful for. I'm going to give it to the Lord. So think through your day. What is one small way that you can engage in the Lord in prayer throughout that day? So I'll just give you 30, 45 seconds just to reflect on that.
So hopefully you have something written down or something that you can remember. Remember, this is, this is times where we make resolutions, right? It's the beginning of the year, and maybe this is a, a new practice that you start for the year. So, so far in verse 6, we have discovered that God is relational and that he is near. And now let's look at the last phrase in verse 9. Hallowed be your name. Here Jesus is conveying this idea. May we see you rightly, or may we see you as holy, set apart. May we see you in that way as holy, and may we act accordingly. That's what he's saying here when he says, hallowed be your name. May we see your name in such a way, may we see who you are in such a way that we act accordingly. And so the theological word we use for this understanding of who God is, is that he is transcendent. Transcendent. He is, he is unlike us. There's this, this idea of he is the creator and then everything else is under him. That's the creation. So there's this, this distance or this difference between us and the father. He is transcendent. A wonderful picture of this is found in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, when Isaiah is given a vision. So when I read this, I want you to look at how Isaiah responds in this vision. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. These are angels. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his eyes. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, so this is Isaiah speaking. He says, woe is me. So he sees this picture. He sees the throne room. He sees the majesty, the holiness. And this is his response. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Our God, the, our, our Father God is so great, so amazing, so holy, so set apart. It's not like we just kind of bust into the room and say, Hey, how's it going, bro? High five. No, no, no. We enter into the presence of God and he is so great and so mighty and so holy that all we can do is drop our heads and say, I, I am lost. I am lost. This is too great for me. So this is a picture of God's holiness. He is so much greater than that when Isaiah comes into his, uh, his presence, he responds with reverence. 
He responds with reverence. I am lost. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And we are to pray in this, na- in this way. Oh Lord, hallow be your name. Holy is your name. May we see you as you are. May we see you as holy and act accordingly. So here's the question, and you can write this question down. We don't, we're not going to take time to kind of reflect on it, but you can write this down. How can you live in such a way that it depicts God's name as holy? It's a long way of saying it, but how can you live in such a way or even pray in such a way that it depicts God's name as holy? And so in this one phrase, in in verse six, this one phrase, Jesus gives us a beautiful description of who God is. He is a personal God who intimately knows us. He knows us and he oversees all that he created, including every detail of our lives. He is also unlike us. He is set apart and it's far greater than our minds can comprehend. This is the God who we are talking to as we pray. This description of him should, it should invite us to go to him in prayer. Our father, we can have a relationship with him who is in heaven. He is near and he knows all. Oh, hallowed be your name. You're great. This should invite us in to engage with our Lord in prayer. Hebrews chapter 6 verse, or Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so the call is for us to go before the throne and make our requests with confidence knowing who God is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is a simple prayer. It's, it's just having a conversation with God. And I love uh, uh, a minister named Richard Foster writes this about this way of simply praying. He says, Simple, simple prayer involves ordinary people bringing ordinary concerns to a loving and compassionate father. There is no pretense. There is no, there is no pretense in simple prayer. We do not pretend to be more holy, more pure, or more saintly than we actually are. We do not try to conceal or our conflicting or contra- and contradictory motives from God or ourselves. And in this posture, we pour out our heart to the God who is greater than our heart and who knows all things. So in this prayer, as it describes who God is, this is we can come simply to him and pray simply because this is our God. And with that, let's, let's pray to him now. 
Heavenly Father, we come before you and we give you thanks because you are a God that we can engage with. You want to hear from us. We can address you as Father because there is a relationship that you have. It's only through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we can have this kind of relationship. We can come boldly to your throne knowing that you are a God who hears our prayers. So Lord, may we be reminded of that even throughout these 21 days of prayer that we can engage with you. And so may we start out this year on the right foot coming to you, Lord, and conversing with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.